The Athletic. So ahead of this World Cup in Qatar, lots of media, including us here at The Athletic, made a conscious choice to not just talk about football, as the FIFA president Gianni Infantino would probably prefer. Being here and by looking across social media, lots of people seem to be having a great time in Doha and enjoying the football. But are they forgetting about the lives lost and the freedoms denied to make it so? I'm Adam Leventhal and this is The Athletic Football Podcast. Politicians, they want to use the sport to promote themselves, to do, to achieve something in their agenda. They will not success, definitely, you know, because sport is sport. It's nothing to do with politics. And that's what we're doing here in Qatar is just sport and football. What is the honest, realistic total, do you think, of migrant workers who've died from, as a result of what they're doing for the World Cup in totality? The estimate is around 400. Between, 400. Four, between 400 and 500, I don't, I don't have the exact number. Other teams who have experience, they have results in the former tournaments like France, like England, they played like Brazil, they played well in the first game. And the teams as well, who were mentally ready, like Jürgen said, at the mindset to focus on competition and not on uh, political demonstrations. So that's just a taste of what has been said as the tournament was starting and at junctures during this tournament. For this discussion today, I'm joined by The Athletic's Matt Slater, Adam Crafton and Laura Williamson. And we're going to return to a lot of the off the pitch topics that were being talked about frequently at the start of the tournament, but perhaps aren't quite as high up the agenda as we now approach the quarterfinal stage. I think it's important to point out that you may have heard at the beginning of the podcast, a sponsor advert for Emirates Airways but that doesn't mean that we aren't able to cover issues on and off the field. We're going to get stuck into it over the course of the next half an hour or so but first I wanted to start with you Adam. Your piece on The Athletic yesterday, the tragic story of how a Filipino migrant worker died during the World Cup group stage at Saudi Arabia's training resort in Qatar. Uh, Just explain a little bit of background to the story. Do, Do we know about how and and why he died yeah so the i mean the resort to give context it's about an hour's drive or so outside of doha you go down really into the desert i mean you're you're literally getting into the point where you're seeing camels by the side of the road um before you turn into what's called the sea line resort um it's a five-star resort it's beaches swimming pools about uh, lots and lots of luxurious villas um, and they, I think it was during the group stage, or it was during the group stage, there was an issue with the car park lights at the resort, and workers went down there from a Qatari company called Salam Petroleum, and he was involved in a um, fatal accident with a forklift truck. He slipped off the ramp. It was only around five feet high, the fall, but clearly the direction of the fall, the impact of the fall, meant that he suffered a fatal head injury. Now tragic accidents happen right that's not just Qatar that's all over the world workplace accidents occupational accidents happen that's unfortunately a fact of life where this is becoming very very concerning is after we went to the Qatari government the supreme committee FIFA we were then told this is being investigated to check what the safety regulations were how they were enforced by the company at the time 
one of the things that I was told repeatedly at the site was that the, per the person who died is 40, around 40 years old, migrant worker from the Philippines. The name that, that we were given was just Alex. Um, he wasn't wearing a safety harness, is what people were saying at the time of the incident. Now, what we don't know is, is the reason for that. It's unknown whether the company had provided a safety harness. Um, this has obviously all been put to the company. They've not come back to us at this point. And there was also questions about whether as well as the driver of, of, the, of the truck and the person who was on the ramp who slipped, whether there should have been a third person there assisting the process that, that people at the site said would ordinarily be there. So there's question marks yet again about sort of occupational safety around construction sites in Qatar on projects relating to the World Cup. I think it just shows the difficulty between you can put laws in place you can put regulations in place, but then it's got to be enforced, right? And it's got to be enforced in a place where for a long time companies have been able to operate pretty in, in, in ways that, that maybe those don't fit with those, those laws and regulations. Now, in this case, there's an investigation ongoing, right? So we, we don't know, we can't say until that investigation is complete exactly what was to blame, who was to blame, uh, the circumstances around it. All I can say is what repeated people were telling me at the site when I went to visit it. Um, I think it's also interesting, it happened during the group stage of the, of the competition when the Saudi Arabian team were staying at the base. It was also interesting when I put it to the different agencies yesterday and to see what the different responses were. Straight away the Qatari government, well, within a few hours, came back and said this is something that we are investigating. Um, FIFA said that they were saddened. FIFA, by the way, were the only agency contacted that actually said they were saddened, um, which I thought, you know, maybe you could say, you know, you kind of take that for granted, right? Someone's died and, and you're sad about it, but it, it stood out in the statement for it. Um, and the Supreme Committee's priority appeared to be saying, this is not our jurisdiction. And their reason for saying this was not our jurisdiction is their argument is, although it was at the, the, the resort, the hotel, the beach, where um, the, a FIFA team, a Saudi Arabian team was staying during the tournament, they're saying the, the specific parameters of what constituted the training base within the resort, this was a public road adjacent to it. It's just a technicality, isn't it? I mean, this is, is, this is trying to alleviate some sort of blame from... It, it, it is, but it's a technicality that means the Supreme Committee won't be the, the organisation that's, that's investigating it. It means that it's handed over to the government to investigate. It also means, does it get added to the number of deaths related to World Cup projects, which they are you know, very, very determined to keep to a very low number? That's been a bone of contention throughout the past few years, how many people have died relating to World Cup projects. On the face of it, this, at a resort where a, a team for the World Cup is staying, would look like a World Cup project. But straight away, we're being told, no, no, it's a matter for the government. You know, we'll keep, we'll keep track of it because we're the Supreme Committee and we care about everyone, but it's not on us. And I, th I, think, that's, I think that's an interesting insight into how it's working here. Laura, from, from your point of view, why is this, I mean, it, this sounds like almost a, an obvious question or maybe a, a silly question almost, but why is it important that we've reported on, on this story in particular? Be well, when we, before we came out here, we, um, we, all, had, we all debated 
you know, amongst ourselves and our families and, and, and with our work colleagues about how we were going to approach this World Cup. You know, where, where, are, we gonna, where are we even going to go? Um, that's how strongly some people felt and some people took the decision not to come. Um, and then overall we, d- we decided that, yes, we were going to come and we were going to cover the football to the very best of our ability, but we were also going to keep asking questions about everything else. Um, I mean, that's why that's why we're here. That's why we don't we don't cover matches off the TV. That's why we're here, living it and experiencing it. Um, and you know, Qatar is is at such pains um, to you know stress that this is the best World Cup ever and um, and try and talk about what it does you know for the nation. So the flip side of that is that if you know a, a poor man dies on a or on or near. Um, a, um, a facility that uh, was covered in World Cup branding. You, you couldn't get into the place without your accreditation. Like this, this had World Cup written all over it. Um, I went down there to see um, the Saudi Arabian team after they beat Argentina, um, and you know, the, the bright pink branding was absolutely everywhere. Um, so, if somebody dies and we find out about it we have to tell people and we have to and we and we'll be reminding um we'll be reminding people that are talking you know players and managers about that today um because because it's so important to to keep asking questions and not take this surface veneer that is driving me up the wall (laughs) of um this is the best world cup ever and um you know it's like you you chat to anybody and you sort of you know it's a bit warm today oh but it's not too hot you know <laughs> everything this this sort of this stress to say everything is is just wonderful and yes there have been some wonderful moments of course there have and some of the footballs have been amazing but at the same time you've got to look at what's going on underneath Matt where do you stand on the the coverage at the moment and and the importance of and it, it's important that we, we also highlight the fact that we're not just sat here trying to be holier than thou and saying, you know, everything's perfect where, where we all come from, from, from England and, and things like that. But where do you stand on the, almost the mismatch in the, the razzmatazz and the reality on the ground? Literally on the ground, as I, as I see a, a guy who's having to sort of ensure that the paving stones around us at the Souk Waqif are perfectly flat, going through the painstaking exercise of scrubbing with almost like pumice stones on, on slate floors. It's, it, the, the them and us feel of this place is quite stark, isn't it? A nice easy one, Adam. Thank you. Um, look, this is a very complicated World Cup. It's a very nuanced World Cup. It's a complicated place, interesting place, fascinating place. Um, and um, as Laura was just explaining, there is a big push that has been for the last few weeks to to seize the narrative back from what the Qataris and FIFA, but particularly the Qataris, felt was a very negative build-up. And they got very angry. I think this anger's been building. It's been building for over a year. I noticed it at the draw in March that this mood had changed here from sort of engagement and trying to explain to we're just fed up. When are you going to stop talking about LGBT issues, uh, women, migrant workers? When are you going to start talking about our stadiums and our infrastructure and how amazing this World Cup's going to be? 
and we arrived in Qatar and we just got dumped on. Now some of that was perfectly understandable and legitimate. Some of the reporting had been excessively negative and badly informed and hypocritical. Some, not all. And there have been ludicrous straw man arguments on both sides of the debate here where one side will pick the very worst example of Qatari culture or Arab culture. An example would be a story that blew up in the, in the first week around these fake fans. Now that was, that was not the Western media, and I'm, I'm using the same broad brush stuff as, as everybody else here, just for ease, or just so we can get through this debate. That was not our finest moment, because it didn't take much to find out that these guys are massive football fans who love the sport. Okay, they don't go to the games every week, but of course they don't, because they live here. But they love sport. They love and are very knowledgeable and... Um, they are the fans that our football clubs are increasingly trying to trying to reach. They were not paid, you know. They were not paid performers as some sort of you know kind of bit bit actors in a show. They they are the show. That's 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 the nature of this World Cup. It's been tough, as I always thought would happen. The sport does take over. This is not the first controversial host of a major sporting event the sport always takes over rightly so for a time I think we're having a little pause now to remember that this is a complicated mega project and we will we have to keep coming back we have to keep asking these questions about Qatar's progress the Arab world's progress FIFA's progress what we in the West have learned from this process so there is no sort of short answer here. It's been swings one way, wild swings back the other way. I still feel a little bit punch drunk here. Um, there's, been a, there's been plenty to, to enjoy, but there's been plenty to be quite irritated about too. At the beginning of your answer there, you mentioned about the Qataris wanting us, wanting people that come to this tournament to concentrate on the beautiful stadiums. Now, every time you go to a stadium, you look at the stadium, you appreciate the design, and then you think about the background to it, or at least I do anyway. You might highlight that you are at this stadium, but it's very rare, and people can pull me up on it if they, if they wish, but that you celebrate those stadiums because you know the background to it. You know how much toil went into building those stadiums which let's be brutally honest they have been built on many lives being lost it's it's not just the stadiums for me and and, and this potential you know how many people you know may or may or not have lost their lives building this stadium or if not this stadium the road outside or the the, the drainage or the, the the you know the power infrastructure it's what's this all for now, ordinarily, when we go to a, a big event, so I'm thinking about maybe sort of South Africa or Brazil or the Olympics and etc., you'd, you'd be worried about the legacy, you'd be worried about the cost. That's less of an issue here because these guys are rolling in it. Qatar has never made more money. The geopolitics have massively gone in, in, in Qatar's favour. Qatar has more money than it knows what to do with. 
it's building these stadiums that it doesn't really need. It clearly doesn't need. I mean, when I go to these stadiums, I'm thinking, what on earth are you doing with this next? And they don't fit in their surroundings. They are magnificent pieces of engineering and design, but they fail on like kind of A-level architecture because they don't fit in their surroundings. They have no relationship with what's around them. Literally, in some places, they are like spaceships that have landed in the desert. And you're thinking, how on earth are you going to make this work going forward? What is this all for? Why are we all here? Why have you done this? I think it's changed over time, almost like the reasons why this is even here. I think if you, someone said to me the other day, right, this idea that this was all done to cleanse Qatar's image, right, back when they were bidding for the World Cup and stuff like that, it, that just doesn't work as an argument. It doesn't work as an argument whatsoever. Because if you speak to anyone who runs the country here, they don't believe they've got an image to cleanse. They're proud of their country, right? And, and that's because they're looking at their country from their own culture, from their own history, from the, they look at it as, you know, we only got our independence, what, in the 70s or so from, from Britain. They were kind of a Saudi vassal state for a pretty long time as well. They're not looking at their country thinking, oh, we need to sort out our image about this, we need to sort out our image about that. No, what they're, what they're doing is they're trying to build closer economic ties, right, with the West. That's a huge part of it. This World Cup has probably come, in terms of getting the love of the West... 30 years too soon, 40 years too soon maybe. If they'd done it in 30 or 40 years when they were further along with their journey, because if you look at, for example, how the situation of the sport and enter entertainment sphere, even openness to sport and entertainment in, in Qatar over the past 20 years has changed, right? There's been a massive shift in terms of what they're open to having here, what they happen to hosting here, live music, that kind of thing. The situation for women here, it's by no means perfect. There's still all these questions about guardianship. But there's been progress. There has been progress. It's nowhere near where it should be, but there's been there's been a if you were to take if you were to change if you were to look at what it is now compared to twenty years ago, there's been a change. There's been less change in other areas that, where they're still saying there'll be culture, you know, it's it's the culture, it's the religion, we're not willing to compromise on that. I, I think that's pretty clear as well. So, so when you talk about sports washing, I, I don't buy that uh, as an argument. I think it's all about trying to get closer economic ties, trying to plan for a world where one day it's not just oil, where they can't just rely on that. They're trying to build a, a world beyond that. That doesn't, none of what I'm saying excuses what's happened in all of the construction. But I do think there's a kind of a false understanding about why this has been here in the first place. And I do think there is also speaking to people out here who are pretty close to the government that there is some regret I think I think there is some regret about the lack of love that they've received in return for it I think there's a lot of Qataris in particular who are looking at this and thinking we've spent all of this money we've put on all of this show we're putting on our very best face we're even letting you have alcohol in more places than we'd ordinarily let you we're letting things pass that we wouldn't ordinarily pass for a few or four weeks so you lot can have a good time. And you come here and you're just shitting on us, right? You're shitting on us and you're looking at us from this perspective of the perfect, perfect situation. Um, and, and what's it all for? And there's some Qataris who are looking at that and thinking, what on earth have we done this for? Our reputation has suffered. 
There's others who are looking at it and saying, it's, this is just a hot moment in time where there's a load of criticism. And in 10 years time, in 15 years time, we'll all be able to look back on this and say, wow, what did we do? Look at what we built. Look at what we brought here. Look at the highlights where Messi might have won his, world, his only World Cup in Qatar on our territory, where Cristiano Ronaldo had his final swan song in a World Cup. So there's all these things going on at the same time. And not all Qataris think what, what we want them to think, right? I've been out with gay Qataris here. They don't fit what people like me might want them to think. They're not all... They're not all desperate for Westerners to come here with a rainbow flag and save them. That's maybe for another podcast at the, at the same time. But it's all, it's all more complicated than we want it to be. Do you like Formula One but struggle to keep up with everything that's going on? Then we have the podcast for you. Introducing the Race F1 Briefing, the podcast that brings you the latest F1 headlines in 15 minutes or less. With new episodes dropping on all four days of every race event, you'll never miss out on hearing what went down in practice, qualifying or the Grand Prix itself. And we'll also bring you all the behind the scenes news and gossip from the F1 paddock as well. If that sounds like the F1 podcast for you, search The Race F1 Briefing in your podcast app of choice. We'd love to have you join us. I just want to go back to the the figures of migrant worker deaths associated with the World Cup? Because I think it's important to, to stick a flag in the, the change of tack from those who've organized this tournament. Initially, there was three that were mentioned. That then rose just out of nowhere to four to 500. Hassan Al-Tawadi um, mentioned that figure. And he admitted himself, one death is, is too many. We've heard Another figure which was reported by The Guardian, which was six and a half thousand deaths. So where do we, where do we stand on, on where this is going to get, get to, do you think, Laura? I mean, is it, is it a point that they are, the Qataris and those who organize the tournament are actually going, you know, too much is coming out. We're never going to be able to control this narrative anymore. Yeah, I think, I think that desire to control the narrative has been a really key um, key point of this World Cup you know, in that in that very in that very cozy interview um, that, that, that was conducted and the number as you say jumped very quickly from from three um, to to hundreds to four to five hundred casually exactly um, and so we will never know we will never know because every every story we we look at and when we go um, go to the Supreme Committee, go to the Qatari government for comment, um, as Adam was saying before with with, with his um, tragic story, it's the rush to the rush to abdicate responsibility is is quite staggering. Um, I've I've been covering a lot of um, a lot of the issues around Iran and and the fans that they've had out here, and particularly women. Um, because we're not well, there's not enough women here to talk about these issues for a start, but that's a, that's a separate a separate matter. Um, and in all, in all my interactions um, with authorities, it's this is nothing to do. This is nothing to do with us. This is a, this is a 
you know, the secur security taking T-shirts off people at um, at the gates with women life freedom on. Oh well, no, that's their responsibility. That's nothing to do with us. You know, FIFA very quickly saying, well, no, we don't, we don't, we don't do that. And there's this this passing of responsibility all the way along, and with something as horrendous and fundamental as the number of people that have died in building this World Cup, you know, we're, we're dizzying about between three and five hundred. I mean, <laughs> it beggars belief. And we'll never know because it's not like we can put in a freedom of information request. You know, we've, we've been trying to find out things like, like how many people have been arrested during the tournament for, um, you know, public disorder. You can't get a straight answer. I think the thing with the, the number is they don't know themselves. And they don't know themselves because they're not counting. They're not counting, they're not doing proper post-mortems. Now, if we think about that, just, just go with the logic of that. This is a very wealthy place, very wealthy, that has a fantastic health system for Qatari citizens. But, 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 but you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very successful, smart place. They don't count because they don't care. These people don't really matter. That's what that means. That's what that says. The Qataris, when you speak to them, so many of them just, I think, I would say don't get it. They would say, I'm, what's wrong with me? These people, as in migrant workers, have come here of their own free choice. They've come here because the money is better here than it is at home. We are alleviating people out of poverty. You in the West are closing your doors. And then we get into the straw man thing. Some of it, some of it is, is, is reasonable. Some of it, they, they, they make a point. This is an age-old story, centuries old. Work, cheap labor follows the money. You've had your moment in the West. How did you build your canals and buildings and factories? You had your moment. Did you care about Irish navvies and indentured slaves from, from wherever you took them? Don't think you did. And yet you're here now pointing fingers at us. Now I would say, guys, you can be better than us, you know. You can. You can learn you can learn from the dreadful mistakes we made. You could also implement your own laws. And I think one of the things that that if you go back to Adam's story, the Supreme Committee are responsible for about one percent of construction workers over the last five, six, seven years. One percent, about thirty, forty thousand of them. Their building sites, because they have been under scrutiny, are probably the best building sites in the Middle East, almost certainly the best building sites in the Middle East. Those construction workers are paid on time. They have safety officers. They are trained. They're wearing the right kit. In the summer months, someone was telling them to come out. It's too hot, lads. The other 99% of building sites have had to be dragged, kicking and screaming, to a point that is still not good enough because they fundamentally don't see the point, the problem. But is it, is, it, is it splitting hairs when we know that this whole, I mean, Doha and its surrounds, the tournament, is, is a state-run thing? It's very difficult to, to separate the, the, the two things. Is it, is, it just, is, it you, is it just an excuse that doesn't really hold any water? It doesn't, it doesn't hold any water, and here's why. As long as, we, as long as we are, I'm going to tell you why it matters, and then I'm going to tell you what we need to be careful about. It matters because Qatar chose to do this, 
chose. It chose to accelerate its strategic vision, its, its vision for this country, which is perfectly legitimate. Diversify away from fossil fuels, uh, make our society fit and healthy. One of the things that I think is absolutely fundamental to this project is to be noticed on the global stage. So the answer that Adam was giving about the importance of getting, under, getting away from Saudi Arabia is hugely important here. They are genuinely worried at times in their history, not that long ago, that the, the Saudis will roll over the border and just retake this place. That is in the, fa the royal family's mind at all times. So putting on mega events, having Al Jazeera, this massive global broadcaster, having BN Sports, the biggest sports broadcaster in this part of the world, having Qatar Airways, this very successful airline, these are all strategic plays by Qatar. They've used their money to be noticed. The World Cup is just another example of that. So having a World Cup to accelerate that plan, fine, but they did not think through the consequences, the enormous impact it would have on poor people. Poor people who would come here, of course they come here for the money and the jobs, but Qatar was not ready to look after them. Now the thing that we need to be careful about is that we have to remember that Qatar is not the only place in the world that, that, that's done this. I think Dubai is really interesting. What I'm getting quite upset about is this idea that Dubai has become this Magaluf, Benidorm, this completely benign place that influencers can go to and chill out by the pool. How, how on earth do these people think Dubai was built? Is being built? Talk to migrant workers. They, a few things they'll say, this place is really safe, da, 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 the money's better than it is at home. Oh, by the way, it's better than UAE and Saudi Arabia. Just, just, just on that, when I went to see uh, where the migrant workers are watching, the fo watching football matches, which is like an industrial, they call it the industrial fan zone, and it's about 30, mi 30 minutes or so outside of Doha. Um, one of the things that some of the, the Ugandan workers were showing me was that they have these, these migrant worker WhatsApp groups for people from Uganda where they're kind of warning each other about oh, this company's all right that company's all right it's almost like unions for for the most poorly paid people in the world essentially on whatsapp um, and they're just helping each other out and yeah the UAE is right up there right and, so, and, and that was one of the points they're making they're like this isn't a Qatar whatsapp group it's a GCC whatsapp group um, I think the point Matt makes as well around the concern about being Saudi Arabia's neighbour is absolutely always there. Even I, mean, I was with someone who's worked pretty closely with the government here yesterday, and they were saying, next few years they think they'll come again. They're always worried they'll come again. And I think what well, I was trying to think of the reasons around some of the cult, kind of the culture wars that have broken out during this tournament, and the two best examples of that, which really broke out on the weekend of the tournament. One was you had alcohol banned from stadiums two days before the tournament was due to start. And the second one was, can footballers wear a rainbow armband? This was all stuff that for years had basically been, it, you know, rainbow flags in the stadium. I'd spoken to people from the Supreme Committee who said that was going to be fine. They said it was going to be fine. And you'd speak and speak, sorry, spoken to people from FIFA who said there'll be alcohol in the stadiums. That was Budweiser's agreement, right? In isolation, you can take an issue like alcohol in an Islamic country. There's no harm to me as a Westerner if I'm told to go to a country and not have alcohol. Zero harm, right? Okay, the experience is a little bit different, but there's no harm. But the fact that Qatar put its foot down on those two issues that weekend 
I think is really significant. And I think part of the reason for that is, one, they wanted to say to FIFA, it might say FIFA World Cup, you might have FIFA branding all over this tournament, but this is Qatar's World Cup, and you're going to come here and you're going to do things our way to a certain extent. And the second aspect of that was they wanted to show the Arab world that they're going to stand up for an interpretate, I would say, an interpretation of Islamic values that are, that are you know, politically very, very expedient for them at, at, this, at this moment in time. And I think this might sound a little bit conspiratorial, but I think, I think the, the row over the rainbow suited Qatar as the row to have during this tournament. And the, and the reason for that is they can say things, the, the, the kind of the talking point lines around it are pretty easy for them, right? You've got a load of teams at the World Cup whose nations, whose governments outlaw homosexuality. It's not just us. It's not just us. 1966, when you had a World Cup final in England, it was, out, it was outlawed there at the it's, time. But this is a sort of modern day whataboutery, isn't it's it? It's cultural. It's yeah. a cultural. In the same way as we might have said Nadine Doris, culture secretary, uh, the conservative government in Britain was doing culture wars all the time. That's the, it's, it's the politics of, of Trump, of Bannon. It's, it's that kind of, we're going to fight, we're going to fight culture wars and we're going to deflect from the, dis- the, the harder discussion for, for Qatar, which is migrant workers. Because that's the, that's the one which is universally far, far harder to win. Because it's basically, we've not treated poor people really well despite being really, 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 really rich people. And we've exploited them. And I think that whole kind of confected row where FIFA got involved to say, the day before the tournament, you can't wear this rainbow armband. I think it suited, I think it suited them. And then Germany crash out after making that protest yeah. and Arsene Wenger feels able to sit at a technical committee meeting and say, you know, that was a contributory factor. And same with Denmark. It's so... As Adam says, that that was a a battle that they will probably feel they've they've won. You know, there were there were people on the streets celebrating Germany going out for that very reason because they they took a stand and you know put the fingers to the lips. Um, I mean, <laughs> world are we in that that yeah. can happen? And, and it's been, you know, it's reached a po- it reached a point probably last weekend where you had sort of Germany going out, huge amount of noise, particularly from very very large. Qatari social accounts um, and not just not just it's not just the government I think that's the important thing here it's been a grassroots response to it as well I mean I was walking through back streets near our hotel where as a response to all this rainbow row you've now got signs up at some houses with a rainbow flag crossed out and it says underneath not allowed in Qatar right and that's just walking down the street. That's not in a football stadium or anything like that. That's a grassroots response. And I found that really, really, really interesting. I was, I was trying to think of, because it's the first time I've seen that in my la- really in my life in terms of to walk down the street and see a sign like that. And How I does that make you feel? Horrible. I mean, it's, it, was, it, was the, it was the only time I've been here and just thought, fuck this, right? What, what do I need? To, I, I'm here for work. I don't need to be here. What am I being here for? It was also a point in the tournament where you started to get a lot of people saying, oh, but look at the atmosphere between fans mixing. All true, right? The football's fantastic. And it felt very lonely. It felt very lonely, very isolating, very, very gaslighted. Because I'd been told before the tournament by pretty senior people running this tournament to my face 
Every, everyone's welcome. If people bring a rainbow flag into the stadium, that's a FIFA designated area. That's going to be okay. There was never anything publicly communicated to say that wouldn't be okay during this tournament. So I felt pretty lied to, gaslit, time wasted. Um, and, and, and yeah, and ultimately you end up sort of feeling like you have to be a spokesperson for a load of people who feel very, very differently because who else, there's no one here. There's no one else here. There's no voice for that issue during this tournament in men's football, right? There's no one here from the football world who's able to, to talk about this issue, to turn it away from being a culture war and a concept war and an abstract into human, into something which is easy to humanize. At least with the migrant workers, we can talk to migrant workers. We can put a face to them. We can put names to them. We can put families to them. With gay guys in football, that just doesn't, that can't happen yet. And that's another point Qatar's making. It's like, you're giving us all this shit about, yeah. about um, LGBT rights. Where's the gay footballers? Right? And that's a pretty hard thing to come back for. I wanted to, to finish on, on FIFA's role in this. Laura, you obviously mentioned Arsene Wenger. And I was surprised to hear him use that argument over quite a number of years. I know he's been signed up to FIFA for quite some time, but over a number of years, I think he's always spoken quite sensitively about a number of topics, especially when he was the Arsenal Arsenal boss. You've actually sort of listened to him and thought, nah, he's actually making some, some good points here. So I was surprised that he went with that. I wanted to finish with Matt and Gianni Infantino. The fact is, you know, everything that we've spoken about, you know, what Adam has just mentioned there, what Laura mentioned, FIFA have stood in line. They've not challenged. They've not fought for anything that they feel that maybe they should fight for. They have been pushing on with what basically whatever Qatar would like. And obviously, Gianni Infantino, is, he's a part resident here in, in, in Doha. The way that his tournament has, evo has evolved from that bizarre speech at the beginning of it to now, we, we haven't heard from him, apart from a, a very sort of... A very. He gave flabby, really well. flabby um, press release, statement press yesterday. yesterday. Yeah. yeah, best tournament ever. Best tournament, yeah, brilliant. Uh, as but, predicted by yeah. Johnny Infantino. Yeah. Um, look, I don't mean to beat up on Johnny Infantino. He's got a very hard job. Uh, 200 plus member associations. This idea, I mean, the sport and politics not mixing. And we haven't talked about Nasser Khalifi's remarkable interview yesterday. This, this fairy tale that sport and politics don't mix, unbelievable. But anyway, fine, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that fairy tale to one side. Um, unfortunately, sport and politics, certainly professional elite sport, uh, have mixed for about 5,000 years and have never been more entwined. Otherwise, I'd be out of work. Um, so, Infantino, look, he, he has a tricky, 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 tricky tr uh, job. And this tournament has, I think, cast a light on just how tricky it is. All right, so FIFA kind of run the show. They want to run the show, but as you get closer to a tournament, the hosts take over. And it'll be exactly the same in 2026 with US, Canada, and Mexico, right? Possessions, nine tenths of the law. You're on my territory. You're not taking it away. Our rules apply. Just sit down, pipe down, all right? You'll get your money. We'll all move on, but you are not in charge, right? And Qatar and FIFA have had a very, very difficult relationship. And what we saw on that eve of tournament remarkable tirade was I think a man whose emotions were all over the shop the day before he'd found out that he is going to be unopposed confirmed he's going to get four more years but equally 
we're really here, we're really starting this tournament. I've had an absolute tirade of abuse down the phone from the Emir and the Emir's men about, why can't you take that story down? Sorry, that's not how it works in the West. Um, you know, why won't they talk about the stadiums and the football? You know, it's been tricky, 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 tricky for FIFA. So there was a lot going on in that speech and it just he just dumped on us. He dumped on us journalists. In amongst it, there were some good points he made, but unfortunately he just made some appalling points as well. But anyway, where are we at now? We're at FIFA just, I think, wanting to get through this tournament. I think it's going to be quite a success commercially. I think they can't wait to start the next one because it's going to be an even bigger success. They've got some issues to deal with around the logistics of that tournament, which is going to be a completely different kettle of fish to this one. Football just moves on, right? The circus moves on. They're already thinking about the next four-year cycle. I think Qatar can't wait for it to finish either. I think they've got all of the big strategic things they want done. They've got the pan-Arab stuff, that conversation. They've got the pitches they need. The logistics have been good. The infrastructure's held up. Some of the genuine kind of reporty sort of questions I had coming in have been answered. Fine. Let's just get this done now, yeah? And come back in 10, 15 years' time and we'll make some sort of assessment about whether it's worked or not. So we have a sort of kind of... The relationship between host and FIFA has been bad. It's sort of got better because we're in it and it looks like it's going okay. But they want, they want a clean divorce. They, they just want to go their separate ways. Infantino's sitting there. He look, we have to see him at the first three minutes of every game. The emperor in his chair. But he doesn't look like a comfortable emperor to me. I think he wants to move on. I think he's already looking forward to the States. He's already looking forward to an entirely different range of conversations. It's, it's, I sort of feel sorry for him, but he makes it hard for me to feel sorry for him. I, th I think the easiest kind of accessible example of that tension between FIFA, between FIFA and Qatar has been what's been allowed in stadiums and what's not been allowed in stadiums, right? What's not allowed in stadiums or where there's been a clamp down on going into stadiums? The t-shirts from female Iranian fans, women, life, freedom. That, along with uh, the clamp down on uh, rainbow paraphernalia, and then on the other hand, sort of wade through into stadiums, flags of Palestine with message, political messages about, about Palestine. Now, people will have their own views on all of, those, all of those different issues. But if your position as organisers and hosts of the World Cup is football and politics don't mix, there's not really a huge difference between those three issues, right? People, you're talking about people who feel oppressed, who are oppressed in different places in the world who are subjected to very, very difficult humanitarian conditions. What we've seen is essentially the causes that are politically expedient to the hosts and which the hosts fundamentally agree with are being waved through and the issues which cause issues for the hosts, whether that's locally in terms or regionally with rainbows or in terms of their relationship with the Iranian government because they're surrounded by other countries who, who are less keen on them, um, by less keen on Qatar, um, there was a clamp down on, on the uh, female fans with the t-shirts and I think that's been the clearest encapsulation. FIFA have realised, you know, you might have our name all over it but it's not their World Cup. Very quick final point to you Laura, we're, we're done for this episode but it's almost going to be necessary maybe at the end of this tournament and certainly beyond it to find out what happens next when this 
place kicks back into gear in whatever form it takes, I suppose. And, and we see maybe what life is really like after the circus has left, Olympics. left town. Olympics, 2036. Yeah, there'll be, there'll be, there'll be another big, tour, a big sporting competition here, surely. Because, <laughs> as, as Matt was saying, you know, the infrastructure is here now and no one seems to give a damn about sport with Messi or Ronaldo out playing, quite frankly. Um, when you just think back to all the all the conversations we had around London 2012, and it was all legacy. What's the legacy? What's the legacy? You know, five years, seven years, ten years, um, and and I mean, maybe when we come back in five years' time, we might see actually the real Qatar rather than this sort of Disneyfication that we've been we've been privy to. What is the real Qatar? Exactly, I have no idea. I can't find. I can't find. I can't find people to. To yeah. tell me. Is it is it the sand dunes? Is it the buggy? Is it the falconry? Or is it the the fake Versailles and, and yeah. the Yeah, or, or the mall. Yeah. The mall, mall and... I'm, I'm and none the wiser. No, I'm the same. Uh, Food-wise... I, I wish I was meeting more Qataris. I do. And I wish I knew more about Arab culture. I, I have tried. Too. Yeah. Other than going around the National Museum, <laughs> how, else, how else can you find? Because, you know, even, even the food, it's... It's delicious, but what's what's Qatari's national dish? Everything's Lebanese or, or Indian or Bangladeshi or um, yeah. I, I, it's and despite yeah asking and asking, I, I I don't know what the answer is. It's been a tournament of that, hasn't it? Lots of questions and not necessarily many answers on on some very very key topics. Matt, Laura, Adam, thank you very much indeed. Uh, that's all for now for the very best coverage of the World Cup on and off the field here in Qatar, uh, including the work of, of our three guests today. Uh, you can subscribe by going to theathletic.com forward slash football pod. And our latest deal is £2 or $2 a month for the first year. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care. The Athletic.